Welcome to Agatha Christie, She Watched, our spoiler-heavy look at the movie and TV adaptations of the mystery genre's greatest writer. I'm Bill Peschel of Peschel Press, publisher of the annotated novels of Agatha Christie, and today we're talking about A Night at the Opera, Comical Assassinations, Suitcase Nukes, and Seaside Resorts. It's N or M, from 2015, starring David Walliams and Jessica Rain as Tommy and Tuppence Beresford. But first, let me introduce my own Tuppence. I'm so much more passionate with you than they ever were. <laughs> my partner in marriage, as well as crime of the fictional kind, Teresa Peschel. Hello, Teresa. Hi, it starts love. with T as well. Hi, love. Kissy, 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 kissy. <laughs> you know, one of the things. <laughs> what we saw. Oh, my God. We actually watched, folks, we watched The Secret Adversary and NRM at the beginning of the Agatha Christie She Watched project when we were just starting to get a feel for what was going on. And I remember at the time really objecting to them moving the date, but now I understand why they did this. And in fact, I do want to talk about that. But what they got completely wrong is that Tommy and Tuppence adore each other. That is true when they are young and in their early 20s and have reconnected after uh, years of separation. When they are in their 40s in N or M, in fact, their daughter even comments on it or how sweet it is to see them holding hands. They are still obviously in love and lovers in Pricking of My Thumbs and in Postern of Fate. They care about each other deeply. Watching N or M really brought home that there was not just zero chemistry between David Williams and Jessica Raines, both of whom can act, so I don't know what the problem was. There was not just zero chemistry. There is a scene towards the end. This is after Tuppence and Tommy are reunited when she realizes he is, is not dead, and he pulls her toward him to kiss her, and she is as stiff as a board. She does not want this. All I can think is, my God, if my husband had just been rescued, my Bill had just been rescued, you know, from, and I was sure he was dead, I would have been all over him. I would have hugged him. I would have melted into his arms. Oh, darling. And of course, every time that you would go off to do something brave and dangerous, is a big kiss goodbye. You know, be careful. I love you. Don't die or I'll be mad at you forever. Anything when you watch this, what you will see is that Sheila, the proprietor of the Sansuchi guest house, and Carl Denham, one of her guests, have more chemistry in their two-minute scene than uh, Tommy and Tuppence do throughout all six hours of this Partners in Crime ordeal. Every time Tommy starts becoming affectionate, Tuppence pushes him away. And I guess this is why they sleep in twin beds and why they only have one child. Well, they're English, you know, they're just not known. The English are not known for passionate declarations. Well, they may not be known for passionate declarations, but I still think that you would see more than this, <laughs> especially because this is, doesn't match the novel. Yeah. This doesn't match the novel in any way, shape or form. Tommy is not a passive buffoon. And Tuppence does not push him away and treat him like an annoying brat. No. She doesn't. And yet you see this all throughout. And it, it, it reaches the point, as I think about this, that, you know, you see Tuppence staring out onto the sea after Tommy disappears. And she's looking so bereft. And what she should have been thinking is, wow, 
I'm a widow now, and I can get rid of all those get get rich quick schemes, and I can sell some of this junk, <laughs> and and I will never have to have another man do with me what men do, because you really get those vibes that she really doesn't want to have a man in her life. Well, I can understand why Tom, this particular Tommy, drives her nuts. But oh my well, and remember, God. she is attracted to other men because at the opening scene at the opera, uh, the Mister Harrison. She's attracted to manly men. Manly men. And like you know, Clark, yes, Mr. Grant Harrison, who of Clark course Gable. turns out to be gay, even <laughs> but he is tall, dark, and handsome, and good-looking, and more interesting. And she's attracted to Carl Denham, who is blonde and younger and fitter and just more interesting and more paying attention. And yet when Tommy pays attention to her, recall the scene with the blonde wig and the secret adversary, she pushes him away and when he wants to kiss her passionately after he has come back from the dead she is as stiff as a board why is she even married to this man listeners who have not read the novel nrm this is the second book in the four book tommy and tuppence series yes and and there's also the partners in crime short stories right and this takes place this takes place in the novel during world war ii the it is the very very early days Uh, The novel was actually published in 1941, which means Agatha was writing it around 1939, 1940, during the Blitz. And at that time, and it is hard for people to recognize this, uh, looking back, you know, 70 years later when you know what happened. But at that time, no one knew what was going to happen. Everybody in England either had personal memories of the Great War or they had listened endlessly to their elders reciting their personal memories of the Great War. Everyone knew what a meat grinder they were heading into. But what made World War II scarier was that France had already been crushed and they were being bombed. During World War I, I don't believe that there were ever bombs or bombing raids. There were some. There were Zeppelin raids. There were? Yeah, there were Zeppelin raids, but they were very isolated. And this not wasn't the like the daily blitz of that they were having during the blitz. Yeah, this was not like the daily bombing, and they simply did not know. And this was also published before the United States entered the war. Essentially, Britain was standing alone, and they had no idea what was going to happen, and it was terrifying. Yeah, so this is an espionage novel, and they moved it to 1952 and made, instead of Germans, we have Soviets. And now that I have watched 200 and some (laughs) adaptations of Agatha Christie. I understand this much better. And in fact, I will speculate idly because I have, of course, no information on the subject whatsoever, but that's not going to stop me. But I think what the plan may have been, because they were originally going to film all four novels and possibly maybe the short story arc, because there is an overall arc in the short stories about Russian spies. But I think what they were going to do was all of the novels, all four of them, were taken from their original time setting and all set in the paranoia of the Cold War, which is perfect for espionage and spy capers because it was the golden age of espionage. It would be an absolute perfect setting. And now that I've seen N or M, we're hearing Carter talk about a high-level mole in MI5 in his department. And at the end, you get this idea that it is his driver... Because N lets slip that it was the driver who, you know, scones at the Savoy. Well, maybe that's true and maybe that's not. And if they went on to film the other two novels and maybe the short story collection, we might have had an overall arc in which Tommy and Tuppence discover who the big mole is in MI5. And keep in mind that this was the time of, was it Kim Philby? Yeah. 
this was the time of Kim Philby. So that would fit perfectly within this. And a very important thing that happened in NORM is Gilbert Worthing, atomic scientist, he loads up all by himself. He must really do a lot of weightlifting. He this load, is a big, at the beginning of the at episode. At the very beginning, he loads up this great big bomb on a truck and then drives out of this top secret military base and the great guard just waves him through with this big flatbed pickup truck with what is obviously something huge in the back covered over and just waves him through and you think, no, I don't think so, unless that guard is being paid off. That just wouldn't happen, folks. It just wouldn't and Gilbert would have never been able to get that bomb on the truck by himself in the first place and then you come to the really important question why did he do it you are never given an answer and why did he end, do it he disappears he, he disappears they don't know what happened to him and we find out at the end that he's being held hostage by commander haydock by commander haydock who wanted to know where one the final key this little mechanism for the bomb was so that they could threatened to set off the bomb and make a lot of money out of it. And that brings up the question, why did he take it in the first place? Yeah, And we why never did, get an answer. Yeah, we never get an answer. Why did he do this? And I don't know, but as a writer myself, my guess is that somebody had an idea that if they did all four novels, moving them all to the same time period, taking full advantage of the espionage and the spying and the thieves' rings and everything else that's in the upcoming novels, they would have addressed this as part of the overall story arc. But we never see this. So we ne And the ratings were terrible. The critical response and the public response was terrible to both Adversary and NRM. And so they didn't film the other two novels. And so we will never know. So fan fiction writers, fire up your laptops and get moving. I think that might have been what they were going for, is an overall story arc between the four novels where finally Kim Philby is unmasked and we find out why all of these things have been happening. And I do not think it was Carter's driver. The only thing the driver knows is where he's taking you. And, and what he might hear in the back seat. Yeah, and, and that's what he, not really enough. There would have to be other people involved. Because this is also the reason why Tommy and Tuppence are being sent after a kidnapped nuclear scientist and a missing nuclear bomb, bomb because apparently <laughs> there's nobody else who is trustworthy and they are off the books so they are unknown even though carter knows tommy is a passive buffoon and has been for his entire life and tuppence she's smarter she's obviously smarter she, i think she has better instincts but she doesn't listen any better than Tommy does. She's willing to leap off into the unknown and spe on speculation. Yeah, and both of them are not trained. They have no they training have whatsoever. No training in investigative work. They have no training in disguise, in impersonation, in coming up with backstories. And you can see this. They really oh. blunder their way through this oh, entire story. Oh, God, they do. They do. In <laughs> fact, there are two scenes one with Mrs. Sprott, who is, of course, N, and the other, Commander Haydock. In the novel, Commander Haydock is M. They don't call him M. They, they call somebody else M. But Commander Haydock fills all of the purposes of M in this TV show, just like he did in the novel as M. But there is a scene towards the middle of the second episode where Mrs. Sprott says, Mr. Beresford. Tommy was introduced to her as George Meadows, and either this is a glaring mistake in the script that nobody caught, including the actors, or this was supposed to be a clue that Tommy did not pick up on, that she already knew damn well who he was. And the same thing with Commander Haydock, because he tells 
Tommy, Tommy. He calls mm. Tommy, Tommy, not Meadows, which he had done all the times before and all the times afterward. Tommy's cover name is George Meadows, not Tommy Meadows. Yeah. Tommy doesn't say one word and we don't get one single word of explanation. And is this a huge script error or is this supposed to be a clue to show us that the rot goes really, really deep and that Tommy is completely incompetent? <laughs> <laughs> and the writer is incompetent as well. Oh my let's God. face it, we've seen this in the previous script. They set things up and then it falls apart. They set up plot points they don't follow through on. Just like this, there's nothing at the end that said, my God, I should have known she called me Beresford. I know, nothing. And all I can think is, well, that should have been included in this episode. You're absolutely right. Tommy should have said, oh my God, and smacked his head. She called me Beresford. She knew who I was from the beginning. You know, like when Carter revealed that, oh, it's my driver, and let it slip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, N didn't let anything slip. N is too competent for that. Even when you see Tuppence being confronted by Major Khan, uh, and I hope she really got a piece of eye candy and saw what a man looks like, but she, there was not enough gratuitous male nudity in this film. <laughs> and um, to, to, to interrupt for a moment, Tuppence was hiding in the cupboard in Major Khan's room, and he comes in, they share a bath down the hall, so he comes in after his bath wearing only a towel and looking around. But a much larger towel than Philip Lombard did in uh, And, and then, then There, there Were, were none. none. A right. much larger towel. And he had another towel, you know, modestly draped over his upper body. So, right. But he and had to strip down in order to put his underwear on. So, but, right. you know, there's Tuppence hiding in a wardrobe cupboard and she makes the doors creak. And this is so stupid. She didn't have enough time to do what she wanted to do. And she has no training in where to look first. And then she does it again in Carl Denham's room. She does it again in uh, Mrs. Sprott's room. She has no time for this. She has no training, and she makes a fool of herself each time, and she does not learn from the experience. Uh, getting back to her being confronted by Major Khan when he, know he knows he she's in the wardrobe, and she's so terrified she's practically wetting herself, and Jessica Raines did a good job acting that. But again, you can see that she has absolutely zero training because she instantly spills the entire story babbling everything out to him, and she doesn't even know if he's in or not. And about yeah. the only thing that she can count on, assuming that she is able to avoid panic enough to still have some rational thought, is that Major Khan can't shoot her in his room without being suspected of something. Right. But they, they were so incompetent. They had nothing. And it's like they didn't learn anything from the secret adversary. Right. So to back up and give a little bit of an overview, this is a, one of those stories. First of all, NRM is a dying message. That's just like, why didn't they ask Evans? Yes, a dying message, a classic trope. Right. There's a, there was a, somebody they were supposed to meet. It was one of the funniest assassinations I have ever seen because they're in the middle of the street. Tommy and Tuppence were lured to this place to meet Harrison, who was somebody that they met at, they saw at the opera who was supposed to meet Tommy. This is where the whole thing starts off is that Car Major Carter tells Tommy to take Tuppence to the opera. You're going to meet somebody there. They're going to tell you something very important about this a missing scientist. And, of course, it's all messed up because somebody else named Harrison got the opera tickets. And so they track Harrison down. And won't, and they but it, meet it did him make sense. It did make sense. The wrong, you, you had uh, the wrong people show up. Yeah, the the box did, office gave the wrong tickets because the man said Harrison, and he didn't count the number of people on the ticket. <laughs> and whatever. Anyway. Whatever. That's fine. 
But the, the point was, is that they're, Tommy and Tuppence are in the street and they see this military truck at the far end and they turn around and there's Harrison and for some reason he's walking towards them and the truck literally comes behind Tommy and Tuppence, passes them. And slams into Harrison and, 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 runs, and, him and runs him over and then disappears into the distance. And Tommy actually did get a look at the blonde Valkyrie. This is uh, Hannah Waddington playing the blonde assassin, and that's the only name you get. But again, this is why I think that maybe they were planning a big series arc, because how did she know? How yeah. did she know to be there? Yeah. You know, I can see that she knew to be there on the pier because N told her they obviously know each other. But how did she know to be there on that back street in London at that moment? And you're right. It's a good setup for a story, but I think it's just more incompetently told. <laughs> I, go, I, go for, I go for the simpler answer here. It's lovely to have seen. And you're absolutely right. All this would have dovetailed nicely into the climactic episode of Poster and a Fate where they go, oh, my God, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And, and Bulldog from series from from Secret Adversary turns out to be the secret mole. Oh, my God. That's true, because they only have like three people in MI5. That, that we've actually <laughs> met by name. There are a lot of people sitting in that room in Secret Adversary interrogating Tommy and all being blown away by his competence, which proves how incompetent they are. It doesn't really say much for British intelligence. Yeah, it doesn't say much for them at all, at least in this series complete buffoons all of the men seem to come across as complete and utter idiots except uh well occasionally you get somebody like carl denham and i guess he must have slipped through <laughs> well carl, carl wasn't a member of mi5 no he's not a member of mi5 he's a smuggler yeah that's why he had he had to work for a living yes he had to work for a living and i guess that's why he was capable but you're right when you think about all of the interlocking things they could have really done something with all four novels the a story arc over all four novels if they had managed to film that but even within an individual episode like n or m they should finish up clues that they plant within the episode that need to be answered within in the episode and one of them is tommy saying when carter said oh n let slip that my driver let slip this clue about my eating scones at the savoy and that's when tommy should have slapped his forehead and said she called me mr beresford that's how she knew right no, you get nothing. You get no answer to this whatsoever. Yeah, but you also get a lot of I Love Lucy-like shenanigans because you had the first one in which Carter is telling Tommy, don't tell Tuppence why you're taking her to the opera. Yes. And, and then when Tommy is sent to the Sound Sushi on the, uh, the Norfolk coast. To, is that the East Coast of England yes. or the Irish coast or is that the uh, the English Channel it's, coast? It is the... It is the North Sea because it's like slightly northeast of London. Norfolk is a very big county. There's the English Channel to the south, and it goes up into the North Sea. Okay, so you are on the English Channel side and not the Irish? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, because I because you can do smuggling easily back and forth between England and France across the Channel because uh, it's not very wide. And I know you can smuggle back and forth between England and Ireland again because it's not that wide. Yeah, actually, it is a little wider there, but... But well, still, it's, you can it's do maybe it. close enough. You may get, you know, Scandinavian uh, um, kippers <laughs> <laughs> and Aquavit from and uh, bootleg ABBA records from from Scandinavia. I guess. <laughs> um, and again, he's supposed to not tell Tuppence. Tell in this, 
the stupidity of this. Yes, because Carter knows Tuppence. Carter knows Tuppence, and he knows that she is never going to do what she is told. She is always going to spy. She is going to pry. And you see scenes her listening at doors. You see she, and and this becomes a trope with her. She always manages to make something creak, whether it is a regular door, a cupboard door, a (laughs) wardrobe door, a staircase tread, the, a floorboard. She will make it creak. If there is a twig anywhere, she, she will, will step, step on, on it, it and it will creak. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is the total lack of training. And this is the way Tommy and Tuppence act towards each other because they have no trust in each other to talk. There's he no doesn't even say between he, yeah, and, them. And, he, and Tommy doesn't even say, Tuppence, I would tell you if I was allowed, but I swore that I wouldn't. Oh. And I'm so sorry, I cannot tell you what is going on. That and that would have been, yeah, that would have been acceptable because that's something that Tuppence might have been able to accept. But as it is, she knows she's being lied to and she's being kept out of the big boy's fun. And why would they want to do that to her? But she's not being given a reason of I swore that I wouldn't tell you, so I can't. Please don't ask again. Yeah, and that still allows her the the leeway to say, well, I'm going to follow you on the train. And then that could be actually comical. They could have had a wonderful scene. She's trying disguises and... And they're trying to, you know, she's trying to figure out what's going on. And instead, she just, she knows that he's going to the sound sushi. So she, she leaves takes a, a train, She leaves early. Leaves early and, and appears there ahead of them. Yes, of them. because uh, she just said, I'm going up to see my Aunt Julie. And, and Tommy, of course, accepts the, uh, the story because why wouldn't she go make chutney with Aunt Julie, even though she doesn't like Aunt Julie and she doesn't like chutney. And it's Christmas chutney in the middle of summer, supposedly. It was like, well, it's it was like a really good fruitcake, a really good fruitcake. You want to make them months before it's time to serve because you need to have time for the fruit to macerate properly. And then the fruitcake, and I never did this, but the fruitcake needs to be fed alcohol every week. And the longer you feed the fruitcake alcohol, the better it is. Okay. (laughs) So they know that NRM, whoever whoever this person is, is is at the San Sushi. And there's all these guests here, including Carl Denham, Mrs. Sprout. There's a psychologist couple, the Mintons. Commander Haydock, who lives nearby, and Major Khan, who's also and, the guest. Oh, and there. let me so let me not why... forget. Um, they also have Veronica Urbanowitz, who is the maid at the Sansuchi. And in the novel, she was there trying. She wasn't the maid, but she was trying to rescue her baby daughter that Mrs. Sprott had kidnapped, in order to have a better cover. Oh, yes. Wow. Veronica dies trying to rescue her baby. Mrs. Sprott doesn't care if that kid is killed, this annoying little brat. But she needs the annoying little brat to make sure that people don't suspect who she is, which is why she kidnaps the baby. Yeah. And Tommy and Tuppence take the baby in because at that time you didn't have social welfare and foster care and all of that. So baby needs a home and Tommy and Tuppence already have children of their own. So why wouldn't you give them this stray baby? So we have all this hugger mugger running around as they try to find out who the mole is and where's the bomb and where's the missing scientist. And they're sniping at each other. And they're sniping at each other constantly. Constantly, constantly. And because Tommy lets Mrs. Sprott come on to him and he wants to come on to her and why wouldn't he because tuppence has all the allure of an icicle for him so of course for tuppence it has to be mrs sprott but at the same time i can give tuppence credit for saying why is this hot blonde coming on to that passive doofus she must have an ulterior motive and tommy is absolutely convinced that carl denham must be in for the sole reason that he is jealous 
because Tuppence pays attention to him. And Carl Denham pays attention to Tuppence, not for any legitimate reason. The reason why they fix on Major Khan, I would guess, although they didn't put this in the script, it's because, you know, he's got a dark, swarthy skin, and clearly he is not from uh, England, but also because he receives a letter with a Russian postmark. Well, I guess, because, you know, again, they don't have anything to look for, so it must be that. But they snipe at each other constantly and they refuse to talk and they refuse to listen to each other and they refuse to support each other and it's like they are enemies yeah but you don't get any enemies to lovers pattern in this one <laughs> yeah and you don't get any wit up between them well and i certainly didn't notice no there well, that's because there wasn't any it was all i just... mean when we did laugh it was not because the script wanted us to laugh it was because there was something so stupid that you couldn't stop yourself <laughs> mm. yes like the bird watching Tommy's trying to portray himself as a bird watcher. And he knew and nothing. Haydock, who is a birder, you know, they go out together and... They're, they're looking for, for warblers, and Tommy doesn't even have binoculars. I mean, he is so bad at his cover story, he knows nothing about birds. He doesn't even know how to look for a bird. And if you're going to look for warblers, and five minutes with a bird guide on the warbler section would tell you shrubs you know trees and shrubs unless it is a specific kind of warbler and again five minutes with a good bird guide and he would have at least been able to not sound like a complete idiot to another complete uh a newbie at bird watching a bird watcher would know instantly and mm -hmm. of course commander haydock did and this was another opportunity for for tommy to well tommy proved that he can't does that he he doesn't read because he didn't read his beekeeping manual in Secret Adversary. So why would he read through a bird watching manual while on the train on the way up to San Suchi? Yes. Why not work on your cover story? Why not work on your cover story? Because then you wouldn't be an idiot in front of the camera and then the story wanted him to be an idiot. I don't know why. And remember, this is all in pursuit of a super hydrogen bomb that has a radius of destruction of 25 miles. And they're the only people that they can send after this. And Tommy cannot be bothered to look in his bird book on his uh, while riding on the train. Yeah. And I mean, oh my God. And bird watching is an easy, common hobby. Actually, it would be perfectly in keeping with Tommy's character that he would be a bird watcher, but of course he is not. And so, and of course, he's not going to bother to learn anything about birds, any kind of bird. And in fact, I don't even remember seeing a single bird in that episode other than the sound <laughs> of seagulls or uh, the warbler, the warbler picture on the wall. There That's was true. nothing. Yes. Not a single bird anywhere in that episode. And this is, again, where Commander Haydock could point out, you know, oh, look at that palace warbler over there. And, you know, sitting practically in front of them. And then Tommy would say, oh, I, I, I don't know how I missed that. Or something, anything. Well, that's why this was a host of missed opportunities. Because there's at, one, there's at several points, they made it a character trope that Tuppence reads mysteries. She reads thrillers. So you would think that she would call upon this as a guide to how to perform. And she doesn't. And she doesn't. She doesn't. It ne it's never mentioned. She's supposedly there at the San Sushi as a mystery writer to, to work on her book. Yeah, and she doesn't bring a portable typewriter with her. You don't see her with, uh, you do see her with a tiny notepad, but not a big pad of paper where she's, you know, writing down notes. She does nothing to make people think that she's a mystery writer. Yeah, and some of the characters mention, oh, this, this ought to look good in your book, you know, when something happens. It's like she reads mysteries, but she doesn't learn from them 
and it would be a natural plot point. This was the whole thing behind Partners in Crime, the, the short story sequence in which they take over a detective agency, and each of the stories is a parody of a popular mystery writer of the time. And they use the tropes of that particular mystery writer to solve the mystery that they are presented with. And if these writers... Uh, in this case, Claire Wilson, if she had read those stories, she would have found a natural. There was so little going on here. I mean, she would have she could have used that interspersed as comic elements of whoever was popular at the time. And they don't. And they they're, they're so few clues. They don't build an actual mystery that says, oh, it's this. Maybe he's in this area. Maybe our missing uh, Gilbert Worthing is in this area. It's all just running into people and basically berating them until they say something or Tommy and Tuppence gets captured or shot at. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Why is Commander Haydock over at that house on a regular basis at the San Sushi? Yeah. Something as basic as that. Oh, well, he comes over to play cards. There's nobody else in the entire village that he can play cards with. This looks like a fairly large town because you see the veterans ball. You know, occasionally it comes to life, like how Tuppence got Tommy, who was, of course, an idiot. She got him into the ball mm -hmm. and a very clever bit. And then the cleverness all falls away. I, I don't know what happened. I really don't. This, if, if it would have been laid out in the arc that I could see and better written, both Secret Adversary and NRM, if they would have been better written, building up to a big conclusion in season f in the fourth with Posturn of Fate, this really could have been something. And, and, also, and we could have seen a progression of Tommy and Tuppence growing back closer together, rediscovering that the love that they had, why they got married in the first place, because you watch this and you wonder why they ever got married, because she doesn't want to have anything to do with him, and every time he gets near her, she pushes him away. And them growing as people and becoming really competent, off-the-books investigators for MI5. And nothing. You don't see any growth in their abilities, in their emotions for each other, you know, doing second chance, second chance at love within their own relationship. And I really wonder, looking at their relationship, I wonder how much of that is Hollywood coming in with the inability to understand that you can be a long married couple and be happy with each other. Because Hollywood really only does two kinds of love stories. Well, one kind of love story and one kind of other story uh, with couples. And that is the lead up to the wedding and the lead up to the divorce. That's it. You don't get happy married couples who still have the hots for each other, even though they're obviously in their late 30s or 40s, because only people who are under the age of 28 can have sex. I don't know. Maybe it's because in screenwriting class, where whoever it was that wrote the last one and uh, Claire Wilson, who wrote this one, you cannot have people in their 30s who are married to each other who are happy. Yeah. who are happily married to each other. They have to be on their way to the divorce. Well, and, and you're right. I could see that second chance at love because they have their son who, in, who was sent off to Eton in the first story in The Secret Adversary. And at least you see him. Here he's conveniently away at camp. But you can also say that this is Tuppence coming out of motherhood. You know, their, their child has grown enough that they could send him to boarding school and forget about him. And she can rediscover herself. Yeah, she can rediscover herself. She could reinvent herself as a, an off-the-books investigator, an off-the-books agent for Carter. And Tommy could, could grow as a man. He could grow a pair. He could grow a spine. He could grow a brain. <laughs> the possibilities for growth are endless. <laughs> 
Well, and again, you know, we saw another example because we talked in the last podcast about how Tommy is essentially a boy because Tuppence mentions, oh, yes, I have a child and I and also I have, have Tommy. And people and he, slapping his hand he, away. And um, and here when he's with Commander Haydock, he, he is uh, found on the beach. He's been, you know, kidnapped and, and cosh on the head. He's found on the beach near Commander Haydock's house and Commander Haydock takes him in and says, oh, you need a drink. And what is he handed? A glass of milk and i can't buy that now i know it's meant to hide the drug that's going to knock him out but you could have given him brandy for that or, or tommy could have looked at the glass and said milk i'd like something a little stronger yeah like something a little more stimulating than milk and and you know and then anything commi- anything, <laughs> anything but he's so passive and he doesn't think fast because this was also at the point where he finds sees the lock room across the way and I think, doesn't he look into the keyhole and see Gilbert? No, uh, no he doesn't see that, Gilbert in through the keyhole. Some, and he is already starting. Suspicious. But he's already starting to feel the effects of the drug, too. So we'll give him a little bit of a pass on that one. Okay. So he, he was feeling the effects of the drug. And you know I don't give Tommy this Tommy David Williams a pass on anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And finally, it really does come down to casting. In, and and you know, I think as good actors as they both are, as, as Jessica Rain and David Walliams is, they are mismatched here. They are really mismatched here. I mean, I I cannot understand why David Walliams starred in this role with this kind of writing, because it just wasn't right. We've seen him in Dinner for Schmucks, so he can play a forceful man. Yeah. He can, and he, God knows he has the size for it, and, you know, regular push-ups, and he could really look good in a set of tights. <laughs> He's got the build for it. I couldn't understand why they did what they did, and Jessica Raines, she looks, actually, she looks a little bit like Francesca Annis in some of her partners in crime roles, you know, the similar hair and that her short brunette and she just really it just really works but she has so little chemistry with tommy that it is negative chemistry well every time you see them it's it's cringing it really is cringing. and this was a three-hour away every encounter with each other is just bickering 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 and it gets old it's like watching the Lockhorns, except the Lockhorns have more affection. Or isn't there another one, the Bickerstaffs? I seem to remember that name. Might be the Bickersons, you know. The Bickersons, probably. I think there was a radio. Wasn't there a radio show by that? It could at, be. At least, at least their 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 uh, uh, chirps are are more. They're uh, funny. Funnier than this. <laughs> this was not funny at all. Just, yeah, you oh, you God. as a, if you were a marriage counselor, you would be watching this and think, can this marriage be saved? Is it worth saving this marriage? Yeah. That also shows you how incompetent the Mintons are as psychologists because they are fakes. They are fraud psychologists. And yet they completely miss any connection between Tommy and Tuppence because if anybody is paying attention, well, I guess that that does work. You know, I'm doing this off the cuff, folks, so I'm I'm thinking as I'm talking or not thinking. <laughs> the way Tommy and Tuppence act at the San Suchi, you see they don't know each other and they don't like each other. And as they get to know each other, they dislike each other more. <laughs> so, okay, why would the Mittens think any different? <laughs> yes, okay, I could see that would lead to the scene where they're told they are married and, and the Mittens go, really? Really? To each other? To each other? <laughs> 
are you sure? Because these seem like really unhappy people. <laughs> well, and yet, despite our slagging of this, there are people who like them. There they are like people the episode, who like this. And I can only say it is beautifully shot. It looks gorgeous. Great clothes, great buildings, great set design. Whoever it is that rescued Tommy and Tuppence's car from the, the field that they abandoned in at the end of Secret Adversary really did a nice job of rehabbing <laughs> it on zero money because remember they still have no money and yet they can afford i guess they're doing it all on tick or tuppence certainly went to san suchi on tick it looks great and there are moments when it does take flight but only for a moment and then it turns amazingly stupid again so as long as you're not thinking while you're watching the episode as long as you're not trying to work out the plot and you just kind of let it and roll you don't know the plot you. you don't if you don't know tommy and tuppence and you don't know the plot you'll enjoy it a lot more but if you are familiar with them as Agatha Christie's detective pair, you'll hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you can be safe uh, safe about that. I can be safe saying that. I think you're. I think you're on safe ground there. <laughs> oh, it's so nice to know that I'm on safe ground with you. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. So and this... see, Tommy and Tuppence would never do that in this episode. Oh, absolutely. They don't act like us at all. <laughs> sometimes that's a that's a good thing. So this ends another episode of Agatha Christie She Watched. Be sure to visit specialpress.com. We just put up some more appearances for 2023, and we've got several more uh, in the pipeline. That's right. That's right. Now that books festival season is opening up. Yep. Yep. So uh, if you want to meet us in public, just look at our website and you'll see where we're going to be. We'll give you the latest information about the book, the Agatha Christie She Watched book, and when it's coming out. Which should be the end of March, because That's, we have a drop-dead deadline. So yeah, Fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers we're crossed. racing to the finish here. I'm going to get back to work as soon as we're done here. Yes, so. and in fact, by the time you listen to this, folks, uh, we should have Agatha Christie She Watched Out, because you're not putting this up within the next couple of weeks, are no, you? No, oh, thank God. <laughs> I can't, can't remember how many weeks, but it may be like three or four months. So okay. by that time, it definitely should be It definitely out. should be out. So you'll be able to read my review of NRM and the Secret Adversary and the other two Secret Adversaries, and uh, as well as all the other 200 Agatha Christie's. That's right, which are posted on the website, by the way. So you can go there right now and take a look. Or you can buy the book because the book will have changed. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things have changed as we've gotten better at it. Yeah. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you at the movies. Bye bye. Agatha Christie, she watched, is Teresa Peschel and Bill Peschel. Produced by Bill Peschel. New episodes come out every week wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm backslash mystery and leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on Mystery She Watched, email peschel at peschelpress.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to peschel at peschelpress.com. And thank you for listening.